Hey, Graham. Hey, David. I have a joke for you. Okay. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What kind of shoes do ninjas wear? I don't know. Sneakers. <sighs> mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I don't know if it's it's as good as last week. I probably, let's give it a five. I'll take a five for That's that good. one. That's good. I like that one. that one. Can you do better? Well, let's see. David, why do fish prefer salt water? It's better for their skin? Because pepper water makes them sneeze. <laughs> <laughs> I like that one. I like that. Where'd you get that one? Oh, you know, from my bank of jokes. Your joke bank? Mm-hmm. Bank yeah. vault, joke I'll vault. I'll give you... I think that's better than mine. I'm just going to be honest. I'll give you a 5.01. 5.01? Yeah, I mean, it's not that good, but it's better than mine. Fine. I, can't, I don't feel good about making it too much better than mine. I get it. Well, enough of the nonsense. Let's get on with the nonsense. Welcome back to Withy Windle, a whimsical interactive show for kids who love stories, words, and grown-worthy jokes, featuring your favorite authors and illustrators. It's part book club, part game show, and it's your weekly adventure through the wild world of wordplay. I'm David Kern. And I'm Graham Pittman. And on this week's episode, our very special guest is... Trenton Lee Stewart. You know, that just sounds like an important name. It does, and, and each one of those names could be a first name. Also a last name. Hmm. He has three first names and three last names. That's how you know he's important. Does that give you six names or nine names? Uh, yeah, let's go three squared. All right, so he gets nine. He gets nine names. What percentage of kids do you think know how to square a number that listen to this podcast? Oh, uh, more than we'd expect. They probably know more about math than we do. Yeah. Well, we are here to discuss all kinds of great stuff. We already did a joke, so luckily for you, that's out of the way. At the end of the show, we're going to have riddle time. Before that, we're going to have our conversation with Trenton Lee Stewart, and we're going to tell you a little bit more about him. Uh, here in a few minutes. Then before that, we're going to talk about Charlotte's Web, written by... Uh, Excalibur B. White. <laughs> That's right, White. Excalibur B. White. I was thinking this week that when you say Excalibur B. White, it almost sounds like you're saying Excalibur is the color white, like the sword is the color white. Excalibur, Excalibur B. White. White. Yeah, yeah. So I was thinking that. <laughs> really, it's written by E.B. White, but we have chosen to call him Excalibur B. White for the podcast. And of course, before we talk about Charlotte's Web... Yeah. We need to do snack time and catching up time. Mm-hmm. So it's time for that. It's time for catching up time now. All right. All right. Did we catch up already? Did we catch up enough? Uh, no, probably not. How are you doing? I'm okay. You know, one thing I feel like we should point out is that our listeners might think we're camping right now. Oh, you think so? Why do you think so? Because of the crickets. Okay. Let's be quiet for a second so they can hear the crickets without us talking over them. Was that long enough? I think that was long enough. The crickets, the crickets are starting to that's scare me. That's not even a sound effect. They're starting that's, to scare me. That's real crickets. It's okay. It's okay. the dark that scares people. Not but what crickets. if the microphones don't pick up the crickets? Well, then it was just a really weird silence. Yeah. And everyone's really confused. Okay. But that's okay. Yeah, I agree. There they are again. So <laughs> we're doing, we, we are not in the bookstore basement. We have to admit it tonight. We are in my office office shop yeah which Um, is in my backyard and is surrounded by wood so there's lots of crickets yeah but we're lucky though because i have two windows and out over your shoulder over there see through that window there the bookstore troll is still standing over your shoulder looking into the window why did you make me look it's not creepy at all so i would recommend you just you know like look over at me for this podcast okay um and i oh no he's over here now oh (laughs) 
Okay. He's let's in the other window. <laughs> okay. Yep. He follows us, apparently. But I'm just going to reach over for this blindfold. And okay, everything's good now. Okay, so we're good. So, well, snack time. Yeah. What? It, let's talk about it. What did you bring tonight? Because you brought the snacks. Well, I can't see them currently, but let me try to remember. Uh, I brought... Oh, because of the blindfold. Yes. Yeah, yes. I brought... Yeah, can't you see it? <laughs> yeah, yes, I can. Uh, I brought peanut butter M&M's. Mm, peanut butter. And I didn't make like a choice between getting those or uh, Reese's Pieces, you know? I wasn't yeah, holding right. like one in each hand, kind of weighing them. And yeah. they were just the first ones I saw because mm. uh, I, I enjoyed both of those. And I uh, brought some Twix and some cream soda. So it's a very sugary night. It is, which is probably for the best because I think we're both a little bit tired. Yeah, tired. It's a Monday. Well, yeah. oh, should we say that? No, don't tell. No, it's a Friday. It's a Tuesday. It's a, it's a Cattills day. <laughs> what? What? You don't have that? Never mind. I feel like I do. <laughs> so uh, this is going to be a good episode because we have a conversation with Trenton Lee Stewart and we're going to tell you all about him in a minute, as I said. And we're going to talk about the first three chapters of Charlotte's Web, mm-hmm. which is even better than I had remembered. How did you feel about the book? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's great. I hope there's kids that are listening that have never read it and are reading it for the first time. But I also hope that some of the kids that are listening that already read it will read it again and aren't too cool for school on this book. Like, yeah. if you're a little older and you think this book is for kids, I think you're wrong and you should read it along with us. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, one thing I noticed um, was there was a lack of webs in the first three chapters. That's true. And a lack of mystical swords. I didn't see any. Especially for someone named Excalibur. Yeah, I didn't see either of those things. So I I was a little taken aback. It's true. Um, Well, let's get to that in a minute. Before we get to our full conversation, we do need to tell you about our friend S.D. Smith because... Our sponsor. Yeah, exactly. And do you remember what he is sponsoring? Like what he wants us to tell people about? Yeah. Hamster Garage. Right? No, that's a different guy. Oh. Oh, yeah, that was me. That was me. I wanted to <laughs> yeah. tell you about Hamster Garage. No, let's, I'll give you two more guesses. What's your next guess? Hamster Garage it's, is wrong. And, and uh, this is Sam Smith, S.D. Smith? S.D. Smith, yes. Okay, so it's He's not the Frank. of the Green Ember. It's, it's not, not Frank's Frank. Pigeon Farm. It's, nope, nope. Sam's Pigeon Farm? That, that, is a, that makes sense. If he was going to have a pigeon farm, it would be Sam's Pigeon Farm. It would farm. be Sam's Pigeon Unless Farm. Unless he yep, doesn't yep. want people to know that it's him, and he uses a fake name. He uses the pseudonym. There's a good word for you. Frank. Oh, or just SD. Okay, I'm going to give you multiple choice options for okay. what he wants to sponsor. A, it's his new spy agency, specifically for children, Ooh. in which they solve crimes and save the world. Hmm, that sounds familiar. B, it's his new web series where he cooks chocolate chip cookies and then eats them all before anybody else can have any. On video? Well, yeah. Oh, cool. Okay. Or C, something called The Green Writer where he teaches kids how to write. Okay, I like And also eats all the chocolate chip cookies. I really like B. I, I could see why he would want to get the word out about know, right? a video series of him eating cookies. But you also, know. you'd think that he would want to get the word out about how he's going to teach children to save the world. True. Um, I'm going to go with C. You're going to go with C. You know, that does make sense because he is a writer. So let's just check yeah. and see what it is. You know, I remember this now. I read about this last week and I'd completely forgotten since then. It's true. It's the Green Writer, which is an accessible online course that encourages and equips aspiring authors of all ages to go and to grow. What do you think he means by all ages? Uh, maybe all ages. Like zero to 3,000? 
Um, all, no, that's too limited. Oh. I, would say, I would say all. Like zero to all. Okay, I got it. Yeah, no, all to all. All to all. Okay, all right. You gotta, the negatives are included. So green writers are going. They have a green light. They aren't waiting around for permission or until the fear is gone or the muse strikes. Green writers go. Green writers are also growing like a green living thing. Alive, not yet what they will become. They're becoming writers who create and share generous, excellent work. So if you want to go and grow as a writer, join beloved, best-selling author S.D. Smith, also known as Frank, and become a green writer. You can try a free sample of these sessions at greenwriter.sdsmith.com. Do you think I should clarify that he's not actually also going by Frank? Yeah. As far as we know, which I guess is the point of having a pseudonym, S.D. Smith does not also go by Frank. No. But if you want to learn more about the Green Rider writing program, which we think you should because it's amazing, you can go to greenwriter.sdsmith.com. Yeah. Should we say that one more time? Let's say it again. Greenwriter.sdsmith.com. That's it. Dot. Don't put a period at the end. There's no period at the end. Okay. Greenwriter.sdsmith.com. That's it. No dot at the end. Right. But don't don't write in no dot. Right. Ah. so greenwriter.sdsmith.com, don't write in dot or green dot after that. Yeah. Right. Okay. And don't write that in right. either. We that, could do this all night. Long. We... <laughs> <laughs> Hold on. I'm going to eat a peanut M&M now. <laughs> I have to tell you, when he says all ages, he's including the age 10, which is the age of my son and mm-hmm. your son. Mm-hmm. True. And I'm going to be signing Rowan up, my son, for the Green Rider. And I hope Sam hears that and he, and he sends me a little message. It's like, great job. <laughs> well, you know what? I want that message too, so I'm going to sign myself up too. <laughs> All right, well, time to talk about Charlotte's Web. Okay, so we're here to talk about how many chapters, Graham? Uh, chapters one through three. One, tooth, and threeth. One, tooth, and threeth. And just comparing it to last uh, season when we mm-hmm. read uh, The Railway Children, I was noticing that these chapters go by a little bit quicker. Which is, are they shorter? They're shorter, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it takes less time. I think it. the book in itself is shorter, and it might include more chapters than mm. the previous book. Well, so. I have a couple questions. The first question is, what do you like best about these three chapters so far? Okay, so one thing, can I have two things? Tooth things? Can you have two best things? If they're if they're tied, okay. yeah, things can tie. You can have two tied things for your favorite things. Okay. Um, can I have threeth? Well, we're going to run out of time eventually. Okay, fine, 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 fine. I love the opening sentence. I think it's one of my favorite opening sentences. I've read this book before. I did not remember this opening sentence. And the opening sentence mm, is... I was thinking about this too. Where's Papa going with that axe? It's so scary almost. <laughs> Where is Papa going with that? That could go so many different directions. Do you think he came up with that first line like a long time before and then sat on it? Possibly. Yeah. I could also see him coming up with um, the pig. The talking pig. Mm -hmm. That is the other thing I really liked about these chapters. Um, Is you get Fern at the beginning um, and and, uh, you get a little bit of flavor about her character. Yeah. the things they're eating in the barn, and, and you know. That, yeah. They, yeah, she saves the pig, becomes like her little baby um, for a little bit. She nurtures it. It has to go live eventually on a farm. And there's no mention of this pig being sentient. Diddling. Uh, <laughs> That's a good word. <laughs> uh, 
at all. What does it and mean? And then all of a sudden on uh, on just one page here, it says uh, the pig starts talking. Well, first he starts thinking. Is that what sentient means? Yeah, can think. So you're saying the first couple of chapters were in Fern's head, in the little girl's so. head. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it switches. Yeah, because all of a sudden it says, there's never anything to do around here, he thought. And he is Wilbur. Wilbur's the pig. And then a little bit on that same paragraph, it says, I'm less than two months old and I'm tired of living, he said. <laughs> and I like that because it's, it's, it's not a twist, but it's a little bit of like a turn. Like, oh, I'm reading this kind of book. And you, weren't, mm. you didn't know that for the first 15 pages. Mm. So it's like he's personif- the, the writer is personifying this animal in the same way that you're getting the, the revealing the character of Fern. Yeah. So actually, do you think we should talk about what personifying means? Go for it. You, do you know? <laughs> yeah, it's taking an object, or in this case, I guess an animal, and giving it qualities that a person would have. So in this case, speaking in English... Or thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you knew because I didn't, I didn't know. Okay. That. Yeah. I, when I asked you, I just thought. I'll look it up later. Yeah. You know. Hey, have you ever heard the word anthropomorphism? I have. Which should be our word of the week, but is not. But it also is similar idea. And we don't need to get too stuck on this, but I just think that's a cool mm-hmm. word. Anthropomorphism. Try saying that really fast. Uh, no. Anthropom- anthropomorphism. Anthrop- no. See, it's hard. Yeah, See, all the kids different. at home, when you can't fall asleep tonight, anthropomorphism over and over and over again. It's like counting sheep. When I think of anthropomorphic animals, I think of Peter Rabbit. Oh, yeah. Because he wears a little jacket. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's just the idea of like you're giving human characteristics to things that aren't human. Mm-hmm. So, so those were two things I really liked about these chapters. What do, you, what do you think this book is going to be wanting us to think about? Well, already it's, it wants you to think about mercy. Mm. Um, hmm. because you see that quality in Fern right away uh, that she wants to protect the smallest pig, the smallest creature, new creature on their farm uh, from getting the literal axe <laughs> uh, that her bleak. father justly is going to give it because, as he says, the runts cause a lot of trouble on a farm. So he's thinking very practically about what needs to be done. Hmm. Uh, but Fern, who's also, I think it says she's also kind of small for her age. Yeah. Maybe she feels something and kind of akin to the, to this little, this little Wilbur. I like how in, there's a picture in the book. If you have the kind of classic edition where she's like fighting her dad, he's holding the ax and she's reaching up and grabbing it. Yeah. <clears throat> We're like, they're doing a, they're having a battle. <laughs> you know, one thing I was thinking about though is, it the book doesn't it doesn't say that like the father is wrong right it respects him it doesn't make him seem like he's just this mean ogre in fact he's quite kind of quite nice and humorous mm-hmm. and has a sense of humor yeah she has to press him a couple times but he um he gives in yeah. and realizes that this is very important to her yeah oh i forgot to mention one other thing i really liked is her younger brother coming to <laughs> breakfast with his gun and that? his knife. 
his wooden <laughs> dagger and his gun. Yeah. And then they like, make him he's clean He's prepared up. for breakfast. Yeah, I know? like Who that knows? He, he's clearly been outside with his yeah. toy weapons for a long time. Long enough to get completely dirty. And the mom's like, if you're going to have breakfast, you need to go wash yeah. your face. I mean, he's got to get up early for whatever wars are happening you know, on his property. And then, and then we, and then the mom sends them out with donuts on the way to school. That's so good. Classic farm, farm life, like farmer boy. <laughs> hey, okay. Let's talk a little bit before we move on about the, the chapter, the third chapter where Wilbur has an adventure. Oh yeah. Because the geese, no pun intended, egg him on. Oh, that's <laughs> egg, good. Egg him on to escaping through the little, to the broken wood. And then all the different animals are giving him directions while the farmer and his assistant and all the people are chasing him around. And then they eventually catch him and put him in there. But he has his first taste of freedom and his first taste of adventure. Yeah, and I really liked how he, he was just kind of minding his own business. And the goose is like, hey, go, you know, go over here. You want to be free, right? And he's like, I don't know, do I? I guess. And he gets <laughs> out there and the goose is like, how do you feel? Yeah. The goose is like, like, you're not like, content. He's like, um, good. And then it's like, did, but he didn't actually know if he felt good. Right. And then all of a sudden the, uh, they spot him. Not the animals, the people. Yeah, yeah. So they're chasing him. And then every animal is trying to give him different directions, and he's all confused. Uh, as the, yeah, it's just like one big mess. <laughs> and then um, at the end of it, he gets put back in the pen. He's like, oh, it's nice to be home, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to be home. And then the people are like, wow, that's some pig. Yeah. Like, they weren't even that mad at him. Yeah. They were just like, oh, wow. I'm so annoyed. It's almost impressive. <laughs> <laughs> but And then they nail the little board back, so he can't do right. that again. But but one thing I think it was interesting is the idea of being alone or lonely seems to be here at the beginning mm-hmm. of the book, because he's kind of abandoned. All his brothers and sisters have been sold. Fern is his only friend. But then she can't keep him, and he has to go to, the, to her yeah. uncle's farm. And then while he's there, he doesn't know who to trust, and even there... The goose is telling him to get out, which yeah. is probably not the wisest thing to do. And then all the other animals, you know, there's three different sets of animals that are all telling him to go different directions. And he's just running around in circles because of that. And so we're clearly getting this, this idea of, you know, who do I trust? Who are my friends? How do, how do I avoid being lonely? All those things that I think, going back to the personification, we all kind of understand that. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Do you think there's any foreshadowing in in him getting out so quickly? Do you think he's going to escape again? That's a great question. I bet the idea of what's on the outside of the barn Mm -hmm. is always going to be lingering around the edge of the story. That's good. And other animals are probably going to be talking about it, and some animals are going to want to are going to be saying that what's in the barn is good, and some people are going to be saying what's outside. People, some animals are going to be saying what's outside. So there's going to be this contrast between the inside and the outside world, and. How quickly do you think we're going to get introduced to this spider? What spider? Well, the spider from the title. There's got to be a spider. It's called Charlotte's Web. Well, at least it's got to be a web. There's got to be, yeah, could a be web. Fr- could be my friend Jake Webb. It could be, but it seems to be belong to Charlotte. Now, oh, the spider yeah. could sure. have left it for Charlotte, maybe with a note that's like, I bequeath you this web. Bequeath, good word. Charlotte. Um, yeah. Yeah. But well, I think it's got to be soon. I'm wondering. As you said, the title is Charlotte's Web, and I bet Excalibur B. White isn't going to leave us waiting too long to meet whoever the Charlotte and her, her web are. I assume Charlotte's a girl. Yeah. And when do you think the sword comes into play? Well, I'm waiting for the lake to show up, because mm. that's, that's where Excalibur was. Well, it wasn't in the stone first, and then it got thrown in the lake. 
Well, there's different legends. Okay. So maybe we should do a Excalibur legend book in the future on this so we can iron out where Excalibur actually came from. If you want to learn more about this and you're confused, just do a little reading on King Arthur. <laughs> but speaking of a little more reading, next week we are going to talk about which chapters, Graham? Uh, we are going to talk about chapters four through six. Fourth, fifth. Wait a second. That works. Yeah, it works. We, oh, yeah, it, fourth, it, runs, fifth, it runs out. <laughs> it works. Um, so, okay. Chapters four, five, and six. And for now, Graham and I are going to take a break and we're going to eat some Twix. On the other side of this, we'll be back to talk about Trenton Lee Stewart. And we're back. And David is going to tell us a little bit about our guest who's coming up, whose name is? Trenton. Lee. Stuart. You got it. And I got it. Yeah, we, we got both it together. Got it. Good job. Trenton Lee Stewart is, well, he's an American, first of all. And he's best known for the Mysterious Benedict Society books. Now, a lot of you have probably read all four of those, and maybe even also the riddle books and the uh, the, the puzzle books and things like that. And maybe maybe you've seen the Disney series of the first book, I think, that, that came out recently. Mm-hmm. Graham, have you watched that? I have. Did you like it? I did. And you want to say anything else? You want to give us a review? No, I mean, I think everybody should go watch it. It's 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 really good adaptation of a really good book. So you're saying if people like the books, they should watch the show? Yeah. And they, they change things. and um, We talk about that. Yeah, we talk about that yeah. in the interview. So, yeah, yeah that's... The, yeah, that's a good little portion there. So, Trenton Lee Stewart, he grew up in Hot Springs, Arkansas, which is a great name for a town. It is. Hot Springs, Arkansas. Better than Cold Springs. Well, it depends what you're doing with the spring. That's true. Mm. Yeah. I'm going to have to think about this some more. Uh, the first of the Mysterious Benedict Society books came out in 2007, and he's still working on them. And we're going to talk about that here in the episode, too. So, what was there anything else that stood out from this, this conversation that we should comment on and prepare people for before they hear it in 25 seconds. I mean, we need, we need to talk about it. We do? Yeah. What, was it that bad? About what happened during the interview. Yeah. Oh. The shocking thing. You remember. Oh. So we're, we're, we're sitting there, we're having a great conversation, and then all of a sudden, the bookstore troll grabs David, Me? lifts him. Yeah, you don't remember? No, I was just making sure that that didn't happen so, okay. to somebody else named David, too. No, right in the middle of the interview, grabs David, lifts him out of his seat, and just, you know, pulls him into another room in the basement. We have yeah. another room in the basement. It's even creepier. Yeah. And then That's for true. about 15 minutes, I'm I'm sitting there, I'm interviewing Trent Lee Stewart, hearing these, like, fighting sounds in the other room, and then David kind of bursts out victorious, you know, uh, you know he's got some slime on him some ripped clothes well i felt like it was best to just act like nothing had happened because i didn't want it to be too traumatic for trenton lee stewart right so that did happen in the middle so even though he saw the whole thing well right but still i didn't you know luckily i won well at least this round i am assuming he'll be back for round two but i did have to disappear briefly in the middle of this to defeat the bookstore troll um how did you feel about how your performance as a solo interviewer went? You know, I felt like it was flawless. Um, I made 
Yeah, you can see it. I'll pull it out from underneath my shirt here. I made this medal for myself. <laughs> wow, uh, that, that is says, the largest medal that I've ever seen someone give it themselves. It says number one podcaster, and then it says of the universe. It's really small there, but of you the made universe. the of the universe part small. Yeah, I, I, that seems the, like the, a flaw. The, I made the that one. That seems like the flaw of the metal. I made the one so big. I, but if it's just if people could think you're just the number one podcast, like in your podcaster, like in your family. Yeah, but you're right. I'll make part, another one. That's oh, okay, fine. I'll make idea. a bigger one. Like make universe bigger. Yeah. Well, you know what? We should probably just get on with the conversation because we'll let the people decide for themselves. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Well, we are here with Trenton Lee Stewart. It's a very special episode, and we're super excited. So, Trenton Lee Stewart, thank you so much for coming on Withy Window and spending some time with us. Thanks for the invitation. I'm excited to be here. So, David, before we jump in, yeah, I want to know, like, how do we know we're speaking to the real Trenton Lee Stewart and not his identical twin <laughs> on world domination? Um, I, I, do we need to have him somehow prove himself, or should we just? Know. We could have an interesting interview with his identical twin, who's intent upon world domination too. So, I would be That's fine true. with just finding out as we go along. Honestly, okay, that sounds fine. All right, let's, we're in for an adventure. So whether it's the real Trent Lee Stewart or the identical twin brother, we are glad to have you here. Both of us are glad to be here. <laughs> oh, so we've got lots of questions from from the kids, from your from your readers, and one of which we ask everybody. This is how we start every conversation because, frankly, it's the most important question. It was asked us in the very first episode we ever did. This is it. Are you a Cheetos or a Doritos guy? Oh man. Uh, I mean, if, if I had to make a snap decision, it's Cheetos for sure. It's your gut. Yeah. But you know, I've enjoyed many a Dorito in my day. Are you just regular Cheetos guy? Is it, uh, is it the spicy ones? I like those pretty well, but I'm a kind of a traditional, a traditionalist when it comes to crunchy Cheetos. I've grown to like the puffs over it's, but it's taken most of my adult life to like them. Now I like them. <laughs> you had to like build up a tolerance. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Do you have to condition your teeth to endure what those things put you through? It's a, yeah, it's a strange experience for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I've been caught up with orange fingers plenty of times. <laughs> so in general, are you a sweet or savory fan? More savory. Savory and spicy. Although I really like a lot of sweet things for sure. Coffee or tea? Coffee. But I'll drink some tea. Okay. And, and then coffee. when you're doing you know, some, some, you're in the, in the throes of writing a book or you're trying to problem solve a problem in a novel, or maybe you're just going through edits. What is your snack of choice at your desk? Mm. Nothing. I never snack while I'm writing. Mm. And I never thought of it as a principle. (laughs) (laughs) I just, just realized when you asked me the question that I don't, I don't snack. I'll, I'll drink coffee or water usually. And that's it. I can't, I can't fathom this. I can't fathom not snacking when you're going through something challenging. <laughs> you know, and one, one interesting thing about it is that um, I have to use voice dictation software now. Mm. Um, I, I can type, but I have some problems with my arms that will then mean my, my hands will hurt mm. if I type too much. Mm. So after many years of typing, uh, I had to transition to using dictation software. And so I think that probably also would be a deterrent where I would have to be constantly turning my microphone off and on every time mm. I ate Oh yeah. Every time you crunched into a cheese Cheeto. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Trenton, we ask everybody, well, 
after the snack questions, uh, the first thing we want to want is for uh, the author to kind of give an elevator pitch um, about what their what their book is about. And, and in your case, since it's a series, can you kind of uh, give us a, uh, a, a synopsis of the first book? Um, for the 2% of kids who've never read it. Sure. Yeah, I can. I can do that. Um, remind me the title. Oh, yeah, it's The Mysterious Benedict. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, right. um, yeah so the book opened with uh, a, new, a mysterious newspaper advertisement that reads, Are You a Gifted Child Looking for Special Opportunities? Um, and tons and tons of kids go to take this series of mysterious and challenging tests. They, they want these um, unspecified special opportunities. Um, and out of the many, many kids that take these tests, only four really gifted children um, end up passing them. And they're gifted in very different ways. So they have um, one of one of them is a really clever problem solver. One is athletically gifted. Um, one has a, a is a speed reader with a, a photographic memory. So he's like a walking encyclopedia. And then one has gifts that are um, really unclear to the others early on in the first book. All, all they know is that uh, Constance Contreras is, is uh, very, she's very small and she's very cranky. She likes to write through poetry about people. Uh, but the, all these four kids, um, they discover that they're, act, they're actually being recruited to go on a mission that only children could accomplish. And uh, they're being recruited, recruited by a genius named Mr. Benedict. And that's where we get Mysterious Benedict Society in the title. Um, and so for the rest of the first book, they are faced with lots of puzzle-like problems, riddle-like problems, code solving, et cetera, as they go undercover at a, at a highly guarded institute, behind the scenes of which we know some major plot is being hatched. And that, that, their mission is to figure out what that is and try to stop, stop it. That's the first book in a nutshell. Mm. So we have a question from, from Gideon. He's eight, and he wants to know, how old were you when you started started in on writing and then you know what inspired this particular story great question i um i remember in third grade i wrote dozens and dozens of really silly poems and then over time i started writing stories too so in some form putting pen to paper and try or pencil to paper and, and trying to write something creative that probably third grade is the earliest i remember doing that and then the your follow-up question was, oh, this particular, yeah, this particular one. Yeah. Uh, I think it was connected at least in some ways for, I've been writing for adults my whole adult life, but I, my older son, Elliot was uh, old enough for me to tell him stories. Hmm. And I was in the habit of telling him stories every day, the rather exhausting habit of telling him stories every day. <laughs> and I, but I started thinking that someday I might write a book for him. Um, and then I started having all these ideas that seemed to fit, with the kind of book that I loved when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And at some point it occurred to me that maybe I wanted to write that, go ahead and write that book just then because I was really interested in these ideas, these riddle-like um, situations, riddles and puzzles and codes and so on. So, uh, and some, to some degree, I think being a father uh, and to another degree, uh, having read and loved certain kinds of books when I was 11, year old, 11 years old, those things are the inspiration for this book. Because I read... So, for instance, the Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, The Hobbit, Watership Down, there were all these big adventures that featured um, really small heroes, whether they were rabbits or children or hobbits. Um, and uh, 
And in The Hobbit, there's a chapter in which the, char- the Hobbit character Bilbo Baggins uh, is in a cave with this fearsome creature named Gollum. Uh, and the title of the chapter is Riddles in the Dark. Hmm. And I, re- I love that whole book, but I realized later how much I wanted the whole book to be just like that chapter. And I think, that, you know, like a very important, very high stakes ride upon one's ability to solve riddles in, in, under high pressure um, in, in high pressure moments. And so I think when I set out to write this book, I was trying to recreate that experience to write a whole mm. book that kind of like that chapter in the Hobbit. That's awesome. So, we definitely love that chapter. Yeah. Uh, so jumping off of that answer, uh, Bryce who's 12 and Jacob who's 11, they both had the same question. How did you come up with the riddles and puzzles? Good question. Kind of a, a two-part answer, sort of a strange answer. And the, the, the first set of well, the first answer is that many of them just popped into my head because um, I'm an incorrigible daydreamer and mm-hmm. I will find myself when I'm supposed to be doing other things more productive or at least in the past this is how I viewed it having notions like oh wouldn't it be interesting if this there was a chess you know, position on a chessboard that seems like it's one thing but it's actually another thing or wouldn't it be interesting if there were a maze that had a secret to it and if you knew the secret you could navigate the maze more quickly than other people and um, so some of those things were just the product of a constantly daydreaming imagination. And they're just sort of mm. uh, some part of my brain that I wasn't in control of just offered them up to me. And I felt like they were not useful things um, until I decided <laughs> to write kind of book. And suddenly I realized I could put these things to good use. So many of the things that appear early on in the first book were puzzles and riddles that um, j- really just sort of came to me. But then I realized I had to write a whole book using that kind of, device where the characters have to solve these riddles or riddle-like situations. Um, And it became more complicated because I realized I wanted to use all of these things to not only be fun to try to solve, but also they needed to say something about the characters themselves and about their relationships with each other. So it got trickier and trickier the more I thought about it. But what I really had to do then, I had to learn how to make them on purpose instead of by accident. And so I studied the way that riddles work. And once I'd done that, it helped me have a more methodical approach to um, creating those kinds of things. So, Graham, maybe we should try out some of the, the riddles that you bring to the show uh, on Trent Lee Stewart and see if he can figure out your riddles. Maybe we should have fine? like, what's that? You think it's, it's a riddle time now? <laughs> we might have to do that one time. That We should have like a special Trenton Lee Stewart riddle challenge. Well, before we get to that, though, We'll have to figure out if there's one riddle that we especially like that we can, we can try out on them. Uh, this is a question from Ellie, and she's 10, and she wants to know who your favorite character is in these books. And she says her favorite is Kate because she inspired one of the characters in a book that she's writing. Oh, great. Good for her. Well, I, I wish her luck with her book. You know, when I've visited schools, I, I have been asked this question sometimes who my favorite character is. And I... I like to say that, you know, it's, if you're a parent, especially, you know what this is like. It's like choosing your favorite child. If somebody asks you who your favorite child is, you know, what are you going to say? Like, I always say in my case, it's my younger son. But then I wait for everybody to gasp. And because it's not true, of course, you, all parents love all children equally. We, we all know that. But it is really difficult to choose my favorite character. Um, I felt kind of closest to Rennie or Rainey, as he's, his name is pronounced by many. I felt really close to him because I tried to, he was the first character I came up with and I wanted him to be somebody, I wanted that character to be somebody I felt like I could be good friends with and shared a sense of humor with and, and somebody I would aspire to want to be like. But then I 
came up with the other characters and I loved them for different reasons. So I actually like them all for different reasons, kind of equally, I think. It was at this moment that David was whisked away to fight the bookstore troll. Oh, the, the bookstore life, apparently. <laughs> okay. So uh, this question's from Jenica, and she's wondering about your audiobook. Um, if you had uh, input to who your narrator would be, or if someone else chose Delroy. Okay. I, good question. I, um, I didn't choose the, the narrator. I didn't choose Delroy. I loved his voice. Um, and that was an interesting experience I, that I haven't had the same kind of experience with subsequent uh, audiobooks, but I, I was contacted by uh, a, the director, and I really didn't know what went into the, the making of an audiobook, even though I had loved many audiobooks over the years. Um, but it was really great because they tried to be very thorough and asked me about pronunciation of different characters' names, and uh, which was useful because at the time, so Reynard or Reynard um, was a character who I had ori- I originally named him for a friend of mine who spelled his name differently, but his name he pronounced his name Reynard. And so because my friend pronounced his name that way, I always thought of my character as Rennie, even though it rather looks like Rainy. Um, and so one of the funny confusions that had emerged uh, over the years from that is that most people who listen, to, everybody who's listened to the audio book thinks of this character as Rennie. Um, probably most, though not all, of people who read the book in print think of his name as Rainy. And then now there's the television show and they... Uh, his name is pronounced Rainey on the show. So uh, what I would like to do is to assure listeners and readers that um, Rainey will answer to either happily. And he he doesn't have a preference of which way to pronounce his name. (laughs) That's good. Um, So your, your books have been translated into that audio medium. And like you reference also a visual medium now. So we had a question, actually a few about the show. Um, Sure. Shannon, well, it's actually Shannon's kids, unnamed kids. Okay. Uh, you want to know if you, were, <laughs> if you are happy with the first season of the show, if they think if you think they did the story justice. And if you want to jump on onto that question and just talk a bit about the experience of how that got made, sure. uh, your involvement in it, that'd be great. Okay, uh, happy to. Uh, I'm also happy to say that I, I do feel good about the show. Uh, I do feel like the show did the book justice, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, there are plenty of things that I might have chosen differently um, if I were making the show and ad- adapting the show to that um, from a book to that medium. Uh, but I but I also think that some of those decisions I would have made differently probably wouldn't have been the best ones because sometimes uh, the, the showrunners, the screenwriters, show creators. Um, I really think they've done some things that uh, improved upon the story. And there are other places that I felt like, oh, I think maybe what I did in the book, I like that better. But then there are times that I, I like what they did in the show better. Um, I do know that from the very beginning, everybody involved in the project just brought such a really impressive care and love and respect to the story. Uh, so I could never complain about that. Um, even if they ended up um, doing you know, a bad job of it, which they didn't, it would have been still have been hard to complain because people clearly cared about treating the story well and trying to capture what I would try to capture in the book. So they tried to capture the spirit of the characters, the spirit of the story in general and the atmosphere of the story. 
uh, the humor, all of that. Um, and I, I think that they really did a great job. I think it comes through. I think it, it, sh- it the show sort of gives off the sense of having been really carefully constructed and, and thought about, I think. Um, and, uh, and I definitely think that they succeeded in capturing the spirit of the characters in the story. So, um, so I feel, I definitely feel grateful for that. Um, and my, my involvement it started with, I first got contacted by this, these two producers, um, Karen Kahila Sherwood and Jamie Tarsus years ago, about five or six years ago. And their kids, two of each of them had a, a child who had read the book and they'd read the book with their child and, and their kids basically said, why is there not a TV show based upon this book? And the, their moms asked themselves that same question. They reached out, found out, got in touch with my agent and then got in touch with me. Um, and so they basically went with it from there and it, it took several years for them to make it happen where they, they found screenwriters that they felt really happy with a screenwriting team. Phil Hay and uh, Matt, Matt Manfredi. And I talked to those guys on the phone about some things. And in the end, uh, I was, I'm officially a consulting producer on the show. Um, What that meant in reality, especially during the pandemic, was that they would send me scripts ahead of time. I would offer some comments on them. Um, But I I, I tried not to be too intrusive because it's not like I've written for television before. And and these guys had written for the screen in, in many different ways. So I wanted always to defer to their vision and their passion and their know-how. Um, but I would, but since I knew the books intimately every now and then I would raise certain questions or, or call attention to certain points that I thought they would might want to consider as they were moving forward with the scripts. And so I, um, I got to see rough cuts of all the shows before they um, aired. And so that was pretty delightful. And then it was even more so to see the final versions of them with all the special effects and stuff. Yeah, that's wonderful. Like uh, we watched it, what, what would that be? A month ago now? Not that long ago. And every week we were so excited to watch watch that next one as it came out. I thought they succeeded wildly. And I'm, I mean, obviously that's more important to you um, that they did as well. But like from the styling to the casting, um, it, it was wonderful. I'm so glad. It's, yeah, it's I'm really, glad. yeah, it's really great to see an adaptation that kind of hits the mark in a lot of ways. I agree with you. That means a lot. I'm glad that you felt that way. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I should add for sure. Like, I couldn't have been luckier in the casting. The casting is amazing. Did you get to meet any of those actors? You know, I was supposed to. I was invited out to the set where they filmed in Vancouver, in Canada, and I was invited to visit the set. Um, again, they they treated me a lot more kindly and generously than I expected them to. Um, so uh, they did a good job acting like they cared what I thought. And, um, but then the pandemic occurred and everything shut down and it became too difficult to arrange something like that. So, um, but so sweetly, uh, one of the showrunners, uh, Todd Slavkin, uh, he went around totally unsolicited, um, and got video messages from the cast members, individual cast members and sent them to me. So I have all these video messages from the kids and from the adults saying hello to me. And, um, and in some cases, in the adults cases, uh, saying really touching things about the books themselves and, and um, with more than they had to do, I felt for sure. And I will, I will point out that the girl who plays Constance, uh, Marta, who is the most, you know, pugnacious and op- oppositional and uh, mean girl uh, character on the whole show uh, is the sweetest thing in the world when she's not playing that part. Her message to me was, is just like heart 
melting. She's, but they're all, they're all lovely. Can you tell us if, if there is going to be another season of the show or is that under wraps? The news just dropped. It has been renewed for a second season. So yeah, I can tell you. Wonderful. Uh, Okay. So let's go back to some of the kid questions here. I like this question a lot. This is from Evelyn and she's five years old. (laughs) She wants to know how will you come up with the next book? Well, excellent question. I, um, so the book I'm working on now is not part of the series, uh, the Mysterious Benedict Society. It's its own story with different characters. And how to come up with the story is definitely one of the challenges of, of writing, writing the book. And so I could just say the way that I usually do it is uh, I take a lot of notes before I write the story itself. Before I, before I write chapter one and start telling the story, I have pages and pages of notes on my computer. And they usually come out in the form of questions. I'll think of something that seems exciting or interesting or curious. And then I think, well, what kind of character would be doing that? Or how would they be involved in that? And what makes this character special? And what makes this character vulnerable? What problems do they have? And what are they going to benefit from when they get through this situation or solve this problem or meet this other person. Uh, so they're really, uh, my notes tend to be tons and tons of questions and whatever answers pop into my head while I'm asking those questions of myself, I think, Oh, well, sometimes I answer a question with a question. Oh, well, what if the kid actually, what if this kid's parents were, were volcano experts and then this thing happened and how would that work with the rest of the story? And so a lot of times I come up with, questions and answers to the original questions that make sense to me at first. And then later I realize they don't work well with the story. And so they have to go. And then sometimes I'll have ideas that the longer I work on the story, the more I can see how they fit into the story in a way that works really well. And so those are the ones I keep. And eventually I have a good enough idea over all of the characters and what happens that I start to tell the story. Good question. Yeah. I just liked how it was phrased. Like she was a little bit concerned. <laughs> uh, you know, how, we'll are you, how are you possibly? We'll see. <laughs> uh, Hannah, who's 14, wants to know if you based any characters off of people you know. And you had mentioned a name before of somebody that you used, but anything else in that regard? Right, just a couple. Um, so what happened with the Mysterious Benedict Society is I, I started with this first character, um, and the reason I named it for that friend of mine was, it was twofold. One is I just, uh, this friend of mine was a really, really nice person, still is. And I wanted this character. I'd done a lot of thinking ahead of time, like which characters are going to be cranky and are there going to be characters who are really nice and characters who are timid. And, and so I just thought this kid's going to be a really nice person. And, um, and so I just sort of wanted to honor my friend, but I have a lot of really nice friends. The reason I went with Renard's name is because, Reynard is a character in old French folktales who was a clever fox. And I knew I wanted this character to be clever. So I thought, uh, you know, that's perfect for this kid. And then the more I thought about it, the more I thought how fun it would be to have every character's name reflect something about themselves, whether it was their gift or it was, a, you know, a talent or a problem or something. So most of the characters in the Mysterious Benedict Society uh, and place names have some kind of, it's like an additional kind of joke and or 
puzzle. You can try to figure out what their names might mean or reflect about them. So there are a couple of exceptions uh, in terms of names. And so Rhonda Kazembe, uh, has her last name is based on the last name of a friend of mine. And Rennie's uh, or slash Rainey's uh, tutor, Miss Paramal, is named for a friend of mine. Um, but almost every other character in the book, their names were, they, I came up with them to reflect something about them. So we have a lot of our, well, a lot of our listeners are young writers or want to be young writers. Do you have any advice for kids just starting out in their writing uh, career? Sure. Uh, I would say write the kind of story that you uh, would like to read. Don't try to write a story that somebody else might tell you is an impressive kind of story, or you get the impression it's good based upon what other people say. Uh, it's going to be closest. The story is going to be closest to uh, your heart and, uh, and it's going to come across better. If it's something that you, if you, you care about it. So write something you would want to read yourself. And then my um, unpopular with the teacher's advice is to always say, don't worry about making it perfect and don't worry too much about revisions. Um, do what brings you joy. So if you love writing a story and then you peter out, then you can't come up with anything else and you feel it becomes unpleasant work for you, feel free to jump ship. Plenty of famous writers have abandoned many projects. Move on to something else that interests you. And at some point, you know, somewhere down the line, you're going to have to learn how to make friends with revision, which is really challenging, where you go back and you change things, you work on it and get rid of things that you wrote that you liked, but they don't work well with the story. At some point, you got to learn how to do that and finish your stories and your books. But I think when you're just starting out, write what brings you pleasure. So this question uh, comes from a little bit older kids here. Um, they're 15 and 13, and they're wondering if you are an Orwell fan. I suppose that is referring to George Orwell. So maybe they're putting some pieces together uh, with your work and his work. Yeah, smart. That's a, that's a smart connection. Uh, yes. I, I mean, I have not read a lot of Orwell, but I've, I've read the, the obvious books, um, the ones that are always assigned in school or spoken of. And, and so Anyway, in short, what I've read of Orwell made me certainly ad admire what he was up to. And, um, and definitely there are Orwellian elements in the story, especially when the kids get to the Institute and they're told that there aren't really any rules. And then they're, you know, they're, they have many, many rules explained to them, yeah. but they're told that they're not rules. And that's very, that's very Orwellian. Yes. Things not exactly as they seem. And yes. All right. Uh, again, from one of the older readers, uh, Elisa, who's 16. Well, first off, she says she loves the puzzles. I'm sure you get that a lot. Um, but she said, you use a lot of foreshadowing. How and at one, what point do you work that into the stories? That's, yeah, excellent question. Let's, that allows me to circle back to revision. Um, second drafts and third drafts. Uh, that's why they are such... Um, good friends and tools to, to authors because sometimes it occurs to you, Oh, this will be great. I'll mention this thing now. And then I will, it'll enter into the story later in a more textured and meaningful way. And it'll, it'll really land and resonate with readers when they see this thing again. Or this thing. But a lot of times you might be deep in a story or deep in a book and you have a really interesting idea that 
only will it will only be really successful if you have referred to it earlier in the story. Um, but that's what you get to do as a writer. You get to seem like you had the whole brilliant thing all mapped out perfectly in your head because that's how it comes across when a book or a story succeeds. That's how it comes across to the reader. But very often you're going back in your second or third draft and you're introducing uh, elements that are foreshadowing for what happens later, um, even though you've already written the later part, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And it was at this moment that David reappeared victorious. I'm back. Welcome back. (laughs) (laughs) Was there a big fire you had to put out? No, it wasn't a huge fire. It was a specific customer, important customer-related scenario that arose. (laughs) I didn't know you had important customers. Well, one. (laughs) No, you're supposed to say all the customers. Oh, (laughs) right. So, Graham, should we go to our our Trentley Stewart special quiz? Oh, yeah. Let me bring that up. Okay. So, I have devised a special quiz for you, and I'm calling it the Mysterious Benedict Society quiz, right? Great name. And you're going to think, <laughs> you're just, I'm just going to ask you questions about your books. Yeah. But no. I'm going to ask you one question about something mysterious, mm-hmm. one question about something Benedictine, <laughs> Benedictine, <laughs> and one about a society. Do you have no. any particular order you would like you'd like to jump into first? Let's no. Let's yeah. Well, let's keep let's keep the title intact. So let's do it in that order. Okay. Smart. All right. So topic one is mysterious. All right. Okay. All right. Which fact about Stonehenge, <laughs> the mysterious prehistoric stone structure built in Wilshire, England, is false? Ready? Okay. A. Many scholars believe Stonehenge was built as a type of astronomical calendar. B. Some of the stones weigh as much as 25 tons, or that's about five or six elephants for people that use that type of measurement. Or C. The wizard Merlin made it on a whim just as a place to go and chill out for a bit outside of the stress of Camelot. I mean, this one's an obvious one. It's obviously the Merlin one. It's all, it's all of the above, right? <laughs> yeah. They're all true? <laughs> Except, no, I mean, maybe not the Merlin. You're, actually, you're right. We can't actually test that out. Right. Uh, let's, yeah, we'll move on. Let's go, to Benedict. Yeah. let's go to Benedict. All right. Why is the dish Eggs Benedict named Eggs Benedict? A, the dish was invented and thereby named after Benedict Arnold, the notorious Revolutionary War traitor. B, it's named after the Benedictine monks of Italy who took a vow only to eat warm, crispy bacon, hollandaise sauce, eggs, and warm toast. Or C, it's named after the person, uh, Benedict presumably, who first requested such a meal at a restaurant in New York City. But that one's boring and probably isn't the right answer. So. I mean, it is, it's pretty boring. But I, you know, a lot of meals and drinks seem to get named for people who order them or make them in restaurants in New York city. So I'm going to have to go with the boring answer. Ah, you got it right. I thought I was going to yeah. throw you off the trail. Yeah, All right. So last one, society. This is a good one. Which Unlike of the, the other two, this is a better one. Oh, okay. Which of these is, or was not a real society. Okay. A, the caterpillar club, the society whose members lives have all been saved by a parachute. 
It was founded in 1922. This worldwide organization is so named because of the silk that the parachutes used to be made out of. I love that. B, the Not Terribly Good Club. A club whose members all continually fail at a variety of interests and endeavors. <laughs> this club was forced to disband after it surged in popularity, thus making the club itself too successful. <laughs> C, the Rubble Society. Members of this society consist of architects who created buildings they believe to be permanent only to see them intentionally destroyed during their lifetime. Those are, I want all of those things to exist. <laughs> they do. They, they're all real. <laughs> they're all real. There was too many good ones. I couldn't even make up a fake one. These ones are too good. Oh, that's great. They're all real. That's great to know. <laughs> <laughs> I really like the not terribly good club. I love it too. I, I was like actually, I'm, that was the one I knew existed because I was part of that club. For some time. <laughs> so does he win? Does he win the Benedict's mysterious Benedict society special? Yeah, quiz? Well, one, well, there's only one with like a real uh, solid true answer. And he got that one. Right. So oh, yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Congratulations. Thanks Good so much. <laughs> hey, one question we got that we should make sure to address. And hopefully this did not get asked while I was putting out fires. When's the next book coming out? Hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I, I don't know. I'm working on the book I'm working on um, has some ways to go before it's finished. So we'll have to see if it goes well. And, uh, but it, it won't be really soon. It would be next sometime late next year, probably at the earliest, if then um, hmm. possibly the year after I would guess, assuming I managed to do a good job and, and finish the book and have it not be a really bad book. So on that note, then I have a follow-up question. How do you know when you've written a, a, a how, you, how do you know when you've done a good job? Yeah. Um, that's also a great question. I, you know, in small moments, I feel confident I've done a great job. If, if what I read it makes me feel the way that I wanted the, the story or in that moment to, to make a reader feel if I, if I've written it myself and by the time I have finished it, I've usually worked on it multiple times. Um, we'll say a sentence or a paragraph or a scene in which something takes place. If it still manages to make me feel the way that I wanted that to make readers feel, then I, then I feel like I've done a good job. I trust, I now, I didn't always, but I now trust that. Um, before I came to trust that as well, I really needed you know, you have reading, you have friends who read your work and give you feedback on it. And hopefully they're helpful and constructive and they want you to, they hear what you're up to and they, they, they can tell what you're up to and they let you know if you, they think you're achieving it. Um, and so sometimes that was what, what it used to be, but on the, and that's usually, that's actually how it still is for a large work, like a whole book. Mm. Uh, I usually need to feel, I might feel pretty good about it, but I, I need to get some response from editors or friends before I feel really confident that I did what I was hoping to achieve. But on a related note, I know when I'm finished with a book or a story, and that's not always the same thing. So I've often been asked, how do you know when your story's perfect? Or how do you, and I say, well, I never know that. Yeah. Um, but I know when I'm finished writing a story and that's, that's when I can still see some of the problems and I, but I'm so worn out from working on it 
I don't have the resources, the emotional resources to keep working on it. Like I'm just sick of it. I don't see how I'll solve those problems. I'm so tired of working on the story. I don't feel fresh with it anymore. And so often then I think, okay, well, it's, it's not perfect, but I, hopefully it's good enough. Yeah. You know, I've always thought it would be nice if when you're writing, it was like one of those chemical things where you, it's like, you know how like sometimes medical tests, you put the sample in and then they pour in. I think this is how COVID tests work, the rapid ones. And then you pour in the other thing and then it turns a color, right? Yeah. That's yeah. it. We just need like to pour it, like your computer, like screen turns purple or something. It says, yeah, you've done a good it. job. <laughs> yeah, that would, be, that would be really great. Or, or like those tests, the line appears, but it's pretty faint. Yeah. So you're on the right track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Trying to make the lines sharper. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have really enjoyed chatting with you, but we have to do our word of the week before we go. Are you ready to, to reveal your creativity and cleverness and intelligence about words of all sorts? I'm ready to try. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. So, in order to get this word, we have to turn to our, to our, to our printer. So Graham, you've, you've prepared the word printer, right? Yep. No. It's all set. Let me just go over here and uh, push. Wait, it's gone. It's not here. You, you lost, you lost the printer. Uh, I didn't think so. I thought I put it right here. Wait, is this the printer that was in the fridge? In the fridge? I don't, oh, I did go for a snack earlier. You so you care. First of all, the real question is why were you carrying around the printer? Well, because if I leave it down in the basement, the troll, you know, he likes to come mess with it. So So you carried the printer to the fridge, you got your drink, your lemonade, your fruit punch, whatever it was, your apple out, and you left. Well, that appears to be what you're telling me now because I thought I brought it back down. Trenton, could we get a character called the absent minded Graham in one of your future books? Writing it down. <laughs> Thank you. I think we need to just, everybody needs to re- realize just how absent-minded Graham is as a sort of warning. All right. You want me to go up to the, to the kitchen and grab it? <sighs> yeah, just go grab it. Despite the fact that the the printer is practically frozen, we did manage to get a word of the week, and it's a it's a pretty wild word. This is what it is. It's so I don't even know how to say it. It's so wild, but it goes like this: something like this, absquatulate. This is how you spell it: a b s q u a t u l a t e, absquatulate. Absquatulate, something like that. You now have a couple of minutes to write down what you think the definition of that word is. And we'll be back to find out who's rightest. All right, we're back. We have all made a guess about what we think absquatulate actually means. Graham, what do you think absquatulate actually means? Uh, To absquatulate... Uh, means to run away from a big, scary monster who you once thought was your friend. It's very specific. Hmm. You know, mine is not terribly different than that because Uh I think to absquatulate is to hover awkwardly in a doorway for a long moment when you're supposed to give a speech or a presentation in front of a crowd, a.k.a. to linger nervously. 
<laughs> so we're both about fear and anxiety. <laughs> I suppose those sound very different to my ears, but you know. <laughs> Is it my turn? It's your turn. What do you think absquatulate means? Well, I mean, I, I'm sorry to say you guys are good fakers or guessers, but I, I actually know what the word means. And uh, so I've just written it down and it's actually pronounced absquatulate. Mm. It's a noun. It's not a verb. Uh, and absquatulate is the pasty orange residue left on the fingers of a person who has just consumed Cheetos. Uh, the absquatulate. The absquatulate, yeah. yeah. You've got to wash that stuff off. So it's like yeah. you've, got, you've got absquatulate all over your hands and your face. <laughs> and your hair. Yeah. yeah, if you're an aggressive Cheeto eater, for sure. The absquatulate sounds like something you have to go to the doctor to get removed, though. <laughs> it's, it happens to people. <laughs> yeah. So I'm... Let's okay. Let's look it up here. I've got the definition. I mean, I feel pretty confident. I don't think you probably need to look it up. Well, can, can we though? Just, I mean, I don't uh, want to be. Yeah. You're the guest. I don't want to, you know, offend okay, no, you. Yeah, that's fine. That's but, fine. Okay. All right. So, oh, it 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 actually means this. It, it's a word that refers to yourself or someone else leaving suddenly. What? And it could also mean that someone has absconded with something. Ooh. I must have been thinking of a different word. That's so funny. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I want to know what word you're thinking of. <laughs> well, Trent Lee Stewart, this has been an honor and a great time chatting with you. I'm sorry I had to go put out a little fire because it meant that I'd got to spend less time asking you questions and hearing your answers. But lucky for me, and for everyone who's listening, there is a permanent record of your answers on the internet. So we really appreciate the time. Thank you. No, the pleasure has been mine. And, and fortunately, I, there were lots of excellent questions from young readers to, for me to answer while you were gone. I'm just glad you came back. Oh, well, thanks. It would have been weird if I was just gone forever. Glad <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> that didn't happen. Well, again, thanks very much. And uh, good luck with the book. And we uh, are looking forward to uh, continuing to, to read your books over and over and over again, as many of our listeners do. So thanks for being here. Thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you so much to Trenton Lee Stewart for coming on the podcast. Uh, we had a great time chatting with him and hope you'll check out his books. If you haven't done that yet, check out the, sh- the show of, of the Mysterious Benedict Society and uh, you know keep supporting him and all the other authors who come on the show. But now it's time for what, Graham? Riddle time. Riddle time. That was spooky. Yeah, was that a little dark? Well, it's October. It's fine. Riddle time. That would have felt very out of place in April. Or like Christmas? <clears throat> yeah, what but would, we're What okay should now. Christmas time riddle time be? Some, put some jingle bells on it. Christmas time. Riddle time. <laughs> that? No. No? All right. <laughs> we'll go with riddle time. Okay. So we need to go over last week's riddle and yeah. you need to give us an answer. Yeah. So, okay. So last week, just for a recap, uh, David's son, Jeremiah, walked out of his house uh, with ball glove and ball in hand or hands uh, and no one to play with. So he decided just to throw the ball as hard as he could. But it also came right back to him. And how was that possible? So we had all sorts of answers come in to our inbox, which is podcasts at goldberrybooks.com no dot at the end no dot at the end yep uh and a lot of guesses were right and some were clever but wrong but i didn't specify enough so i think we're going to include those as right as well so let me tell you 
Okay. The reason he threw could throw it as hard as he could and it came right back to him is because he threw it straight up in the air. Oh. Yeah. And, and gravity okay. is quite the thing. So instead of just going and 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 going, it eventually stops and comes down. I guess how long that takes just depends on how strong your arm is. Exactly. And how thick the air is. And how heavy the ball is. Mm. But it's just a standard baseball on a standard day, I would assume. A standard, yes. It's just a standard day. It's a very standard riddle. So uh, <laughs> some of the other um, guesses were that he threw it against like a wall or okay. a tree or okay. something, and it bounced back to him. Okay. And I think we should accept that, because that is a very clever answer, and it works. Did anyone say, well, what if he had thrown it up in the air but then was not totally accurate, and so it landed behind him by three feet. Uh, sure. No. Well, no, nobody said that, but in this riddle, it came back to him. Oh, yeah, that's true. It's so just it's, the, he, was, it's he just had really good story. aim. Okay. Yeah. He's competent thrower. He's competent. Yeah. So, the weirder thing is that he burst out of the house, threw it up in the air once, and went back in the house. That was a little weird. He should have done it, you know, if he a few gonna, times. Yeah. Maybe it hit him on the head. <laughs> and then he said, I had enough of this. I need some sympathy pancakes. Yeah, exactly. Sympathy pancakes. Mm. Mm. All right. Well, it's time for this week's riddle. Mm. And it's my turn to share a riddle. And can't wait. Um, that felt sarcastic. Does, so, it, does it have to do with your son? No, it's about a girl. Does it have to do with baseball? No, it's about your daughter. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. So steal yourself for this one, though. Okay. What am I doing? You're stealing yourself. Stealing myself. Yeah, you know. Where am I taking like, my? I'm taking myself somewhere. You know, fun thing free? about the English language is you can say the same word that means a lot of different things. Oh. Um, so, in this case, it means I'm saying prepare yourself because it could be momentarily a little scary for you. Like brace myself because it's about your daughter. Mm. So Maddie, mm-hmm. she's at my house. Okay. She's playing with our cat Bo. Baseball. No, no, no. She's playing with our cat. You're playing baseball with the cat. Well, yeah, yeah. Okay, so she's playing baseball with the cat. Is the cat the ball? For the sake of the story, sure. She's the, so she, she, she has the cat. She throws the cat really high up, up in the air. Uh-huh. Unfortunately, instead of coming down as in your riddle... Oh, it stays up. Oh, because gravity doesn't exist in this riddle. No, no, no. It still exists. It's because it oh. lands in a tree. Ah, okay. It's 20 feet up. She's got a very good arm. So she throws our cat, bow 20 feet up into a tree. Mm-hmm. Then she feels bad about it. Oh. So, well, because, you know, the cat's stuck in the tree. Oh, she the cat didn't want to be up there. No, 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 no. That's not the it, like, cat's The cat house. wanted gravity to do its job. I see. So, okay. what Maddie No, did, the cat didn't want to be in this situation at all. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Cats being cats. So, Maddie then went to my garage, and she found our ladder brought it over to the tree. She placed the ladder against the tree. By now, she's getting a little nervous because the cat's up there. It's meowing. The day's a little warm. She's starting to sweat a little bit like she's just ready for this whole circumstance to be over. Mm -hmm. She starts to climb the ladder. I'm stealing myself. But she falls. Hmm. That's what you had to steal yourself for. Oh, she's she'll be fine. She falls. She's got bones. Wait, how did you of, know? She's got bones of steel. She, <laughs> <laughs> so 
she can already, mean a lot of different things. She's already steeled herself. So she falls off the 20 foot ladder, mm. but she wasn't hurt. How can this be? Whoa. Okay. So wait, all right. I'm going to let you say it without interruption because I don't think this riddle is as long as we just made it. I think I just interrupted you a lot. So, so go do, do a quick recap of it. Okay. So Maddie is playing with the cat. She throws the cat into the tree. Then she feels bad. So she decides she wants to go rescue the cat. So she goes and gets the ladder, puts it against the tree. And as she's climbing the ladder, she falls. She falls off a 20-foot ladder. But miraculously, she's not hurt. Is there Why? Was, was there a trampoline at the bottom? I mean, is, is this are a swimming just, pool? Are you, are, do you want me to give the answer to the riddle now, or you uh, want to just keep I'm guessing? I'm just kind of, I'm perplexed. You're perplexed. Should, should, I, should I say, should I give any clues? Yeah. She is not standing in a swimming pool. Okay. There's, she's not sitting in a swimming pool, which a tree has grown out of. And and she's the tree isn't coming out of your Jello garden that you planted. I will not. All... I refuse to specify whether this tree is in my Jello garden. Okay. If that's the guess that a kid wants to send in, <laughs> then by all means. No, that's the picture that somebody want, needs to draw. Somebody needs to draw mm-hmm. Maddie climbing a twenty foot ladder in a Jello garden with a cat in a tree. I did get several drawings of gingerbread graham gingerbread. <laughs> in, in the arctic i'll have to show them to you afterwards we'll have to post uh, a couple of those oh, on, yeah, on the on the instagram which reminds me hey yeah. can we tell people about how they can send us pictures and get in touch and keep up with us yeah send us images uh or riddle answers mm-hmm. to podcasts at goldberrybooks.com mm-hmm. if if you send us pictures sometimes we post those on our uh instagram which is Goldberry underscore books. And also if you just type in Goldberry, oh wait, no, it's studios. Yeah. Goldberry underscore studios. But if you want to also follow the bookstore's Instagram, you can go to Goldberry books. Just and see. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know, we, we know that all the six year olds who are listening have their Instagram, Instagram accounts. Talk to your parents. Yeah. Have your parents do this. So you can send us emails that have Dutch's riddle answers, but you can send us drawings. You can ask us questions for the authors, all sorts of things like that. Which brings me to next week's guest, because you might have questions for future guests. Mm. If someone wants to send in questions for a future guest, they can do what we just said. But let's tell people who our guest is for next week. Do you remember? I wrote it Jonah on the, in the whale. I wrote it on your, in your calendar. Abraham okay. Lincoln. It's under Cattill's day. That's what. That's the day we're interviewing him. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln. Oh man, what a cool podcast that would be. Anyway, next week we're going to be interviewing uh, illustrator extraordinaire. That's true. Joe Sutphin. He has illustrated many really great things, including books by Andrew Peterson and Glad McCarty and the new edition of Pilgrim's Progress. And he he's honestly one of the very best illustrator of kids' books that's out there at in all. the world. Yeah. At all. Go to his website uh, or just type in Joe Sutphin or with your parents uh, on the Google machine, as the kids call it. Do they? Uh, and you will be directed to his website where you can check out all of his work. Well, all of his work that he wants to show. <laughs> yeah. He's great. You'll recognize a lot of the, the stuff that he's done. And uh, we'll be chatting with him next week. And we'll be talking about chapters four, five, and six of Charlotte's Web. And you'll have more jokes, more riddles, and uh, more stories about uh, bookstore trolls and so forth. All right, Graham, I think that means that we've come to the end of another episode of Withywindle. It does. How does that make you feel? 
Um, I, I feel sad. I want to keep going. But, you know, till next week, I suppose. Yeah. Well, with that, for Grant Pittman, I'm David Kern. Till next time, happy reading. Happy reading.